Hello, and welcome back to the Iowa Type Theory Commute. I'm Aaron Stump, and we are just at the start now of Chapter 4 of the podcast, which is about dependently typed programming. And so I want to look and talk with you about idioms and techniques and things like this for programming with dependent types and how they can help make our programs um, more reliable, more concise, prove properties about them, all that kind of stuff. There's a lot of things that we can do with this kind of capability. And so what I was thinking to talk about today a little bit, last time we were talking about uh, sort of programming with indices to your data types where those indices come from some different syntactic category. They're not actually program expressions. They're expressions from some other world. You know, and in Haskell with this data kinds system that was one of many steps Haskell has been taking towards full-blown dependent types, there those index expressions come from they're just types. They come from the, the realm of types. But you can at the realm of types, you basically get this new facility to declare what they call data kinds. So they're, you know, in type theory, they, you know, you have program expressions that are terms and they have types. So, you know, hello, the string hello world, that's a term in this kind of term lingo. And then the, it has a type, which let's say would be string or list of characters or something. And similarly, types have kinds. So if you have a type like string, its kind is probably just, well, depending on your notation. In Haskell, they use a asterisk, for like a star. And star is a, is a common choice for the kind for types. Okay, but uh, there you say, okay, that I kind of get that. So, so like three has type int, let's say, and int has type star, has kind star. It's a little confusing because sometimes people use the word type just to refer to any of these sort of classification statements. Like three has type int and int has type star. Some people might say int has type star. I prefer to try to say int has kind star, if I can think of it and remember it, to sort of help keep straight that we have different levels in the system. There's the term level where our program expressions live. There's the type level, which is an abstraction of that term level. And there's the kind level, which is an abstraction of the type level. And what other kinds of kinds, and it gets painful to talk about <laughs> the different kinds of these things, you see what I mean? Sorts, varieties, pick your word that means a, a collection. Uh, so, uh, so anyhow, what other kinds do we have besides just star? Well, imagine you have a type constructor, like the list type constructor. We can have lists of nats, or lists of bools, or lists of strings, or lists of lists of functions from whatever to whatever, right? So list, at the type level, list works like a function. You can give it a type, and it gives you back a type. Right? So if I call list with the type int, I get back a type, which, you know, it doesn't, we say, well, what type got returned to you? Well, you don't actually see some return type at the type level. You just write list of ints and that list of int, and that has type, that has kind star, where int has kind star. And it means that list is a star to star constructor. Sometimes people even refer to these more general expressions that are at the type level of a language as constructors. Uh, so it, it, no matter what, you know, whether they're meant to be data type constructors or what, um, type constructors. So anyway, uh, so in Haskell, as I was saying, 
So you can have types indexed by other types, but those other types can be drawn from interesting sort of essentially inductive definition, although there's no induction revealed there. Uh, <clears throat> so that's the choice for data, the data kind um, approach in Haskell. And I'm passing, it's a chilly Iowa day, and I'm passing a very big flock of geese again. There's just a lot of geese hanging out at the Iowa River these days, more than in previous winters. So uh, for all the ornithologists who are carefully listening to my podcast for tidbits about the bird life in Iowa. Anyhow, uh, so, so okay, so we once you have this idea that we're going to index types, and, you know, the, the example we gave, the kind of basic example is vectors, vector of A's of length three, but now this three in that Haskell data kinds kind of a, approach, three would be a type expression that's built by type level operations zero and successor. So I could build three, you know, the, the piano natural numbers as they're called, piano the Italian logician, not the instrument, is uh, successor of successor of successor of zero. And you can do this at the type level. So you have a zero that has kind, uh, now actually I'm not quite sure how this works in, in Haskell, whether that's, I think that might have a different kind than just star. Hmm, okay, I might have to brush up on some of the details of that. But anyway, it's a, it's a type level thing, or the most important thing really about it is it's erased. These indices are erased. So if you have a function like vector map that says, I take a vector of A's of length n and return another vector of A's of length n for any type A and any index n you want, well, that index n, it's not a really a program expression, remember. It's pulled from this other world, this other syntactic category, and it's erased. So at runtime, just like as at least in Haskell, no types are retained at runtime, which I think is a excellent design decision and no doubt took a lot of discipline to maintain that because uh, there's lots of temptations not to do that, I'm sure. But um, also these indices are erased and that's great. There's no runtime overhead to doing this. It's purely a static verification method, which is really, really great. Uh, now, the, as we mentioned at the end of last time, the one limitation of this though is that because these are not program expressions, these indices and this a approach, you can't you can't do things that re would require you to recurse over them. For example, like the basic, one of the most basic examples is, is suppose you want to have a function that takes in a number and some value and gives you a vector where that value is repeated that many times. So some kind of repeat function that takes in n and value, number n and value a and gives you back a vector of the type big A of this little a input consisting solely of you know, repeating this little a value again and again, uh, n times. So that is something you cannot do with this approach where uh, types are indexed by things that don't, aren't program expressions because you cannot do it directly because you need to recurse over this length n for the vector you're trying to build, but you can't. It's not a program expression. It's, it's just from this other domain. And it's not, your program isn't allowed to touch it. It's just there to help you make statements about relating lengths of input and output vectors to functions and things like this. So, but there is a workaround. So that, that's, that's kind of the one deficiency. And how serious a deficiency is this? 
I don't know. I think that's something that I'm not sure how, how much you could find sort of considered about this out there. How, how big a problem is it really? In one sense, it's certainly a devastating problem because there's some things, very natural functions you might want to write that you cannot directly write. On the other hand, you might say, okay, what if I'm just willing to ignore that problem and, or just kind of try to limp around it? Uh, so what if I said, okay, this repeat function, it's going to take a number n and a value little a of type big A, and it's going to return, well, it can't return a vector of a's of length n. Let's say this n now is really from, it's really a, a natural number at the term level of the language. So it's not from some funny other domain. It's from the, the actual programming domain that where your program could actually recurse over it. So you say, that's fine. I'm going to take in this n, and I'm going to return. Now, I know I'm not going to be allowed to return a vector of a's of length n, because that's what requires really full-blown dependent types. But what, what I could do is I could say, um, I'm just going to return a vector of a's of length n prime, where n prime is just some other number from this magical other domain of indices, and I'm not going to know anything about the relationship between n and n prime. I'm just going to say, well, you called this repeat function with a, a length n, and you get back some vector or other that has some other length n prime. And, and, and in a comment, I could say, oh, don't worry. The length is the one you gave me. You know, the length n prime is really equal to n. But the compiler is not going to check that or anything. You've sort of, that's, that's how you would punt in that setting. Or that's one way you could punt. You could just say, well, I just won't be able to take full advantage of the indexing in this case. And, you know, how far could you go with that? I'm not really sure. It's sort of, I think it's kind of an interesting question. How far could you get with that? And probably it's a question that ha um, hardcore advanced Haskell programmers could answer because they did have this feature for a while. Probably you could do quite a bit. And in fact, there's some evidence that you, well, okay, so I'm, I'm sort of skipping to the punchline a little bit here that, that uh, in fact, there is another way to, to solve this problem that still keeps your indices compile time data. It doesn't have a true dependence on program expressions. And this is what I mentioned at the very end of the last episode. It's called a singleton type. Okay, and but there, there's a several different ways you could play this game. And let me say, uh, I want to speak, tell, say what singleton types are and talk about them a little bit. But let's just say, uh, based on the way I was sort of saying you could punt around the problem in this particular case, you know, because the point is that in lots and lots of cases, you won't have to punt this idea that indices come from a separate syntactic category will be fine. You'll be able to do a ton with this. Like most vector operations, for example, would be fine this way. Vector concat, vector append, vector map, all these things don't, the, the lengths of the vectors are really just there to express relationships between input and output vector lengths. They're not, you don't need to recurse over those in the, for those functions. Uh, and so, there's just maybe a few cases where you do, and it's sort of annoying that in those few you can't, right? I mean, it could be, again, as a criticism of the approach, somebody could say, look, you gave me this sort of 90% solution that doesn't work in general. And someone else could say, well, 90% solution is pretty good. Can we sort of limp around the other 10%? And one, you know, so one way to limp around the 10% is what I was saying. You just say, well, okay, sorry, I don't really know what the index, I can't tell you what the relationship is between the length of the vector you get from repeat and the number you asked, of times you asked me to repeat the element. Sorry, the type system just won't be able to keep track of that for you. But maybe you can still do some cool stuff anyway. But there is another thing you can do at this point, which is you could say, 
Well, repeat, you give it a number n, and let's say a natural number n, that's again from the program, you know, from the actual term level of the language, and you give it a value a that you'd like to repeat, a little a of type big A, let's say, and what you get back is, you say, well, you're going to get back uh, a vector of a's of length n prime for some n prime of the um, this index syntactic category. So when we say for some, we're really using a sort of an existential there, which is in dependent type theory would be a sigma type of some kind. So you're saying, I've, and I think we mentioned this in an, in an earlier, uh, maybe back in chapter three on Curry-Howard. So you're going to get back something that says, you know, there's a, it's a tuple of a length n prime from the index domain, a vector of a is a length n prime, but then the trick you could play is you could say, and a proof that the input length n is equal to the output length n prime. See, now you've connected the input and the output. Even though you kind of couldn't do that syntactically in a direct way, uh, you could, because you can't just have the output type mention n directly, because n is not from the index domain, so it's not allowed to be used as an index. But you, if you had some kind of equality type, now, this would be a pretty funny equality type because you'd have to sort of bridge the worlds with this equality type. You'd have to have a... Uh, you have to be able to equate program expressions and index domain expressions. And, you know, depending on how you set up your language, that might be kind of exotic or sort of ugly and weird. But that could... that That's one way you could go with that. And um, we do... Yes, so that's... That would be a possible way out. The way out that's actually taken in Haskell uh, for data kinds, again predecessor to full dependent types in Haskell, which is, which is in progress, uh, the, the approach is with these singletons. And I realize that now I'm ending because I'm parked here, so I need to stop. I'm ending yet another podcast with saying, let's talk about what singleton types are. Not because singleton types are so important, but basically because I got distracted by these sort of ramifications and connections of all this stuff. Anyway, uh, thank you very much for listening. And next time I will certainly manage, I'm sure, to say what singleton types are and give some examples.